Well, it is, it is great to be with you uh, this evening. Would it be okay if I came a little closer? Yeah. I just kind of feel like it's, it's so far out there, and I can't see you with the lights. I don't know if you need to dim the lights behind me or anything like that, but I like to see people who I'm talking to, right? Otherwise, it just feels like I'm, I'm doing impersonal speech. <laughs> uh, well... I'm sorry about you're dark too, so <laughs> touche, you know. <laughs> so anyway, I, I I don't want to create havoc. If you need me up there, I will go back up there. But um, it's just it's always a privilege to be invited to share the word of the Lord, and so um, I love teaching. I love teaching the Bible, and um, I believe that you guys have been on a great journey together uh, regarding the best story ever, right? And so doing a Bible overview, I do love um, your uh, Bible survey. I used to teach Bible survey in South Africa and uh, teach a little bit of uh, you and your Bible from time to time here in America and just love to see how the Bible all fits together. For the purpose of this, uh, this evening and not wanting to take too long, I believe that Michael has invited me to speak into this era of restoration, and it was kind of hinted at during the worship time, and uh, there were some great little themes that hopefully I'll be able to pick up if I can remember to pull it together, but um, as you go through the Bible, you see that God has, there we go, uh, you see that God has a, uh, a, a purpose that he is working towards with humanity. And we see that from the beginning of the creation, we see that God created mankind with a purpose and he had a plan and there was a design and uh, there was something that God had in mind when he made us, when he made mankind. And then we trace that through the Bible and we go through, and I won't uh, try and retell the whole story through the Old Testament here, but we go through the patriarchal era, and we go through, um, you know, the, the, the judges, and we go through the United Kingdom era with, um, with, with, with um, Saul and David and Solomon. And then the kingdom divides, and we have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, and we have a succession of kings in Israel, which is the northern kingdom, with Samaria as its capital, and with Judah in the southern kingdom, with Jerusalem as its capital. And we have a succession of kings, and when you read through Kings and Chronicles, it can get very confusing because it's jumping forth between the northern and the southern kingdoms, and really you need what I call the mother of all charts, which puts together um, each succeeding king with all the references in both Kings and Chronicles related to that little piece of history dealing with that particular particular king of that particular kingdom and then puts together with it the years in which they ruled and puts together with it the prophets that prophesied during their reign. And so you got to do that for the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom then put them next to each other so that you can see what was happening with contemporary kings in the northern and southern kingdoms because sometimes they overlapped. But without getting into any further confusion during the divided kingdom era, I'm so glad that we can skip over all of that and I'm going to pick it up right at the exile because the northern kingdom went into exile to Assyria and I think it was 722 before Christ um, 
Correct me on that, Michael, if my memory failed me there. But uh, the southern kingdom, Judah, the southern kingdom uh, got exiled. Jerusalem was exiled. And there were three exiles into Babylon. And uh, there was the exile, um, I believe, in 609. There was an exile in 597 before Christ and 586 before Christ was the final exile. And Michael spoke about that this evening as he introduced that song. And he was talking about uh, the exiles and how God in his love and in his purpose in order to bring his people back to his purpose for their existence allowed them to be exiled to Babylon and allowed them to, to, to basically be dispersed. And what happened was for 70 years, they were in a state of exile. They were literally taken out of the land that God had promised to them. And so to back up for a moment, the people of Israel had what we call the Palestinian covenant. Some people separate the Palestinian covenant from the Mosaic covenant. Some people hold them together as one and the same covenant. The point is that God had a covenant with his people related to a very specific purpose. And his purpose is a purpose that was promised to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and their succeeding generations. And he told Abraham, this land in which you are wandering around, this land I purpose to give to you and your descendants. This will be your inheritance. This is my plan and my purpose. And here you will flourish and you will be a light to the nations and you will live as my chosen people. I feel like I'm getting a little loud and you can always turn me down. I just cannot help myself once I get in. I get kind of carried away in my little stories and I just like it just. I, 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 it's, it's a problem. And so, um, so God had this purpose and this plan for his people in the promised land. And that purpose never changed. So even though Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob never fully inherited the land, and then we had, of course, Joseph, and we had the famine, and we had uh, the family of Abraham and his succeed, uh, succeeding generations being taken out of the land that was promised, and they were in Egypt. And you all know the story because it has been told here, and I'm just coming in on the foundation that has been laid. But what happens is that the people of God find themselves in Egypt, in slavery, under bondage. And God says to his people, you know that plan that I promised to Abraham? Yeah, well, that plan still stands. I haven't changed my mind, even though you're tired, even though you're burdened, even though you're oppressed, even though you're discouraged, that has no merit in the light of the fact that I still have a plan and I'm going to get my plan done in spite of what you're going through and in spite of how you're feeling. I'm talking to you. Can you hear me? No, no, no. I meant like I'm saying something to you. Are you hearing it? You know, this is not TV. I can see you. All right. And so, um, so God comes and he sends Moses and uh, what happens is Moses calls them out and God says to the people, he says, I have a promised land for you. I have a land that is flowing with milk and honey. And he's teasing a people that are in bondage in Egypt. He says, I've got milk and honey for you. 
I have good plans for you. I am a good God with good plans, good promises, a good covenant. And I want you to know I am calling you out of this misery. And I am taking you, and yes, it will be a process, but I am taking you into the promised land. A land flowing with milk and honey. A land of tremendous produce. And I've got to move forward because I've got to get onto my piece of the history here. But what happens is the people of God have a covenant with him related to this land. And so then they settle in the land. They live in the land. They reproduce in the land. They make the land fruitful. They work the land. They come into the prosperity that God had intended for them in the land and what happens is they have judges and then they have kings and they are living in the land that God had made a covenant with them about and in Deuteronomy uh, uh, chapter 28 there were promises for obedience and there were curses there were blessings for obedience and there were curses for disobedience under the mosaic covenant in relation to the land and basically God said to the people if you obey me then I will bless you in the land everything that you put your hand to will be blessed you'll be blessed in your coming blessed in your going you will be the head and not the tail if your enemy comes at you from from uh, one direction they will flee from you in seven directions you will have so much blessing that you wouldn't have enough place to store all the blessing that I have for you but if you disobey then your enemy will come at you and you will be defeated and you will be oppressed and you will be the tail and not the head and everything you touch will be cursed and God made it very clear in the covenant the mosaic covenant relating to the land that if they disobeyed him if they rebelled if they did not walk in his purpose if they did not live according to his ways then what would happen is that the promise regarding the land would be corrupted by their unfaithfulness and their disobedience and so we see that worked out through the history we see God blessing his people when they were lived in obedience and we see the curse coming upon them we see all the elements that were promised in the curses working out in the history of Israel until the time we got to what Michael was talking about Michael brought it up not me was the exile when eventually God said I will take you out of the land the good land the promised land the land that I blessed you in the land of milk and honey you know that land I took you to when you came out of Egyptian bondage that land well that land that I promised you I will take you out of it if you do not fulfill my purpose for it in order to bring you to a wake-up call so that you can then come back into the plan and the promise and the purpose and that brings me to my content for tonight wow that only took me 10 minutes and so what happens is uh, you know the Babylon gets overtaken by Persia and the Persian king uh, makes a, a decree that allows the Jews to return from exile and to return to Jerusalem and so we have what we call the restoration of the people of Israel. Consider this, that there was a period of time where God did not have a covenant people living in Israel. 
There was a period of time when the Jews had been taken into exile and there was not a landing place for the Messiah because Old Testament biblical history really is tracing the lineage of the Messiah and then uh, tracing the history to the point where Jesus was born in Israel from the covenant people of God living in their promised land. And so for a period of time, there was... There was a time where the people of God were out of their land and there was no gathering of God's covenant people in his promised land. But God said to the people, he said, you know that original plan? You know the original plan I promised your forefather Abraham when he was wandering through the land? You know the promises that I made to him about this land, that it will flow with milk and honey and that your descendants will live in it? You know those promises? Well, even though you have been disobedient, even though you have been rebellious, even though you have been unfaithful, even though you have been defeated, even though you have paid the price of your poor decisions and you've had to be chastised and disciplined but you know that plan that I originally had for you that plan still stands I'm talking to you now I mean I'm saying something to you are you hearing it ladies and gentlemen if the purpose of God was not robustly sin resistant no purpose of God would ever get achieved because he's got us to work with amen and so just a little sailor moment here I want to say to you it doesn't matter what you've done it doesn't matter where you've been it doesn't matter what has happened. God has a very stubborn, good plan for your life. Just a side point. And so the people of Israel come back into Jerusalem in three successive waves. And we're focusing primarily here on the first wave. In the first wave, it was Zerubbabel and Joshua with Haggai and Zechariah who came in and they rebuilt the temple. After that came Ezra. Ezra was a trained priest and he restored proper, full-fledged mosaic temple worship according to the Levitical system. And then after that came Nehemiah, who you know is the third shortest man in the Bible. That's why they called him Nehemiah. And so uh, I won't tell you about the other two shortest, but that's for another sermon, another time. You'll have to invite me back, Michael. And so, um, so Nehemiah came and rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. However, um, when Zechariah and Haggai came with, I'm sorry, uh, when Zechariah and Haggai came with Zerubbabel and Joshua, they came in the first return to Jerusalem. They started rebuilding the temple and they rebuilt the foundation of the temple, which was a significant milestone. And at that point, they rejoiced greatly at that accomplishment. And then what happened is that the surrounding nations got roiled up 
with political concerns about the re-emergence of a thriving Jewish community right on their doorstep. And as a result, there was political resistance that came against the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. Now here's where I want to dig in to our story just a little bit. Because they relayed the foundations, I think it was in 536 before Christ, and until 520 before Christ, there was no more building on the temple. For 16 years, they ceased the labor on the temple. Now understand, this is, this is a faithful people. This is the remnant that we are talking about. These are the ones who, who, who had uprooted themselves out of having settled in Babylon after the exile and getting over the trauma of all of that. Well, they uprooted themselves. These were a faith-filled people. These were a people who said yes to the call to go back to their covenant land, to go back to their covenant city, and to go and rebuild the temple for their posterity and for their generations to come. This was a dedicated, lean, mean team that said we're going to march through all the way back to Jerusalem and with vision we're going to restore the temple in Jerusalem and because of political resistance they became discouraged and they laid down their tools and they said let's focus on something else because there's too much hardship And friends, I want to say to you that for every single one of us, and I'm preaching to myself, for every single one of us, when you face ongoing resistance, the easiest thing to do is in our self-preservation impulse just to stop doing the thing that seems to be causing us pain and hardship, right? It's just so easy to get discouraged and to say, you know what, I'm not going to do this anymore. But you know what, we're Christians, so we don't do that. You know, the covenant people of God never enter into disobedience. No, what we do is we just make great excuses. And if you can throw a Bible verse into that excuse, I mean, then you're rock solid, right? And here's a covenant people of God, and they're saying, you know what? Uh, we're done with this. Um, you know, the, these, these opposing nations are causing trouble and hardship, and it's because we're laying the foundation. That must mean that God in his sovereignty most probably doesn't want us to do this right now, you know? We probably got offline somewhere. Maybe, um, you know, maybe there's something else. Maybe God is trying to tell us through this resistance that we're experiencing that it's time for us to not focus on building his house because he wants us to build our own houses at this time and maybe in the mysteries of his sovereignty, he has a purpose to which he'll just do it himself in some other way at some other time with some other people. 
And so we wrap ourselves up in spiritual excuses. And this is where the book of Haggai starts. And it's a call to build the house of the Lord. And it says, in the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. These people have a very lame excuse. That's what he's saying. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house, the house of the Lord, remains a ruin? Now, I just want to let you know, ladies and gentlemen, from Genesis chapter 3 onwards, whenever God asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. It's because he is trying to get in to the workings of your thought life and the arguments that you have built up on the inside of you that are keeping you in the condition that you are in. God, through his questions, is dismantling your resistance. And so God here comes to the people of Israel, and he says to them, is this a time for you to be living in your paneled houses while my house remains a ruin? You say to yourselves, you say to yourselves, uh, how does he word it? The time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Do you notice that? It's not direct disobedience. Do you notice how it's just kind of like, you know, it's just a timing thing. Do you know that delayed obedience is disobedience? Do you know that if any man knows what he ought to be doing but doesn't do it, he sins? And God has a way of just penetrating through our defenses with his heavenly interrogations. And he sends a prophet to this people who have decided that they're not going to face the political resistance of the surrounding nations and that they're just going to go the easy road and uh, who have invented the first trend of shiplap because they're living in their paneled houses, right? And so there they are living in their luxury. And the Lord says... You're prioritizing your luxury over my luxury. You are honoring yourself above my purpose. And I'm bringing a correction to your priority structure. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 33, Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be added to you. And fundamentally what God is doing here is he is challenging the people out of their apathy, which led to theologized disobedience, which caused the purpose of God to come to a screeching halt. And ladies and gentlemen, 
And I want to suggest to you that there is a pattern here because I'm jumping ahead of myself. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 6 and verse 11, Paul tells us that when we read the Old Testament, that the Old Testament stories were written to instruct us today regarding our walk with God. And so when we read the Old Testament, we need to understand that the warnings contained in it are relevant as warnings for us even in the New Covenant. Because even though the covenants have changed, God has not changed. He's immutable. And there are certain terms that are continuous through all the covenants. And that is God is God. And we are his servants. And he requires obedience. Whether that's by judgment or whether that's under grace, it's still the same fundamental. He is God. He has a purpose. He has a plan. We are the created. He is the creator. He created us for a purpose. Our life on earth is to fulfill that purpose. And when we theologize our excuses, it gets us out of alignment with our purpose. And that's not good for you. And that's what caused the people of Israel to go into exile. And I want to tell you, you don't want to be there. You want to be in alignment with the purpose of God. And I'm just getting a little carried away again. I'll get over it. Don't worry about it. I'll come down. I will land the plane in a minute. The point is just that we do not want to enter into a relationship with God where we are making theologized excuses for our disobedience or delayed obedience, which is the same thing. Because if we do that, let me tell you what will happen. God's good purpose for your life, God's promised land, God's plan for which he created you comes to a screeching halt, just like the building of the temple came to a screeching halt. When you set out to do what God has called you to do with your life, to live for him, to serve him, to build his temple, his kingdom in the earth, there will be resistance. There will be times of discouragement. Make sure that you're not theologizing excuses that lead you to disobedience and pull you out of alignment with his plan, his purpose for your life. Because I want to tell you, if you want to be where the milk and honey is, it's in the place of alignment with him, building with him what he has for you. Amen? And so what happens as a result of this prophecy is that the work of the Lord and the building of the temple gets to be revived. God continues on with them in verse 5, and he says, this is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much, but harvested little in any way. I don't want to get distracted on this, but God is showing them that he's actually resisting their life outside of his covenant purpose. And friends, when you get outside of your alignment with God's covenant purpose for your life, God's blessing is not there. He goes on in verse 7, verse 8. He says, go up into the mountains. This is what I want you to do. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. God is saying to them, get your act together, do what you know you're supposed to do. Here's your next three steps. Go up the mountain 
and then build, bring down the timber and build my house. Do that and I'll be honored and see what happens in your life. And I want to say to you, is there anything that you know you should be doing that you're not doing? Is there anything that you're doing that you know you should not be doing? Is there anything that you're not doing that you know you should be doing? Both ways. And so, if you're doing something that you know you shouldn't be doing, just get before God, repent, and stop. Right? If you're not doing things that you know you should be doing, just get before God, repent, and start. Because this becomes a point of demarcation. Because we see that the, the, the people responded to the prophetic perspective of Haggai. It says, Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, in verse 12, Joshua, son of Josedak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai. Key word, they obeyed. Because the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of the Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josedak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. And so Haggai prophesies, he inquires, well, he, he brings God's interrogation into their apathy and jolts them out of their theologized excuses and he calls them back into alignment and what happens is the people's spirits are stirred. Joshua's spirit is stirred. There's something inside of you that wants to obey God. There is something inside of you that wants what God has for you and if that thing inside of you is kicking and screaming right now saying I know that there has to be more than what I'm living in today I want to affirm that voice inside of you because the Holy Spirit will Stir us out of apathy, excuses, and disobedience, and will stir us into alignment with God's kingdom purpose. Friends, you cannot argue people into obedience. It is a work of the Holy Spirit on the inside. And all we do is we accentuate it and cooperate with it so that God can have his way with us. Amen? They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day. And so they came out of disobedience. And so I'm speaking about revival. I believe tonight is my topic, which I should have mentioned in the beginning. But my point here is just simply this, that God's purpose here historically was being revived. God had a purpose for his people in 
the promised land. The people, because of their unfaithfulness, because of their disobedience, had been taken out into exile and removed from God's purpose. But then the people of God came back into alignment with God's purpose and started rebuilding and restoring what God wanted them to do. And when the work got halted because they got tired, because they got weary of the resistance and they made up their theological excuses and they just, you know, came to a place of apathy, the purpose of God had to be revived. And there was a divine component and there was a human component. The divine component is that there was a prophetic voice anointed by God named Haggai saying, what do you think you're doing living in your paneled houses while the house of the Lord remains a ruin? And he had a way of painting a picture that jolted them out of their apathy. And the human part was that they responded. They said yes, and they exchanged their excuses for radical obedience. And so if the Holy Spirit is working in your life, there's a divine component already operative. And God is waiting for the human aspect to kick in and be activated. And that is where we get to respond to what we know we need to be doing through repentance and saying, God, Take my life all over again. I'm coming back into alignment for everything you have for me. I want to build your temple in my life. Amen? A revival to the purpose of God. We all need personal revival from time to time. When we come into alignment with God's purpose, it releases encouragement. In Haggai chapter 2, and verse 1 through 9, uh, Haggai begins to speak to the people and he says, once they have started the rebuilding process, he says to them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How many of you remember the temple of Solomon? I'm talking to the older people in here today, Haggai said. And uh, he's saying, I'm talking to the older people. How many of you remember the temple of Solomon? And a few hands go up. And he says, you remember how glorious Solomon's temple was with all of the gold and out of very strained resources? Here we are doing the best we can to rebuild some semblance of the glorious temple that Solomon had. Well, Haggai says to the people, listen to this. This temple will have greater glory than the temple of Solomon. When God restores his purpose, he never goes backwards. He always goes upwards and onwards. The word of God tells us, Paul tells us in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, that the Lord, that God, the Spirit of God, takes us from one level of glory to another. There is always, in the purpose of God, increased glory, not diminishing glory, like Moses' face, where the glory shone, and after a while, it stopped. We're in the new covenant not in the old. And so I think I'm getting into my overtime here, right? And so, um, so encouragement comes 
when we come back into alignment. When we come back into alignment, I'm not even at my key text yet, but when we come into alignment, the protection of God comes upon us. And um, I'm just struggling to, to land this plane here in the next minute or two. When we come into alignment with God, it brings us into his protection. It draws us into his intimacy and it produces in us his authority. I'll land on this text here. The word of the Lord came in Haggai chapter 2 and verse 20. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I've chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. God is encouraging his covenant people as they are giving themselves to the purpose of God in the earth, in their generation. And he is saying to them, you know all those surrounding nations that resisted you? I'm going to take care of that. I'm going to overturn them. I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth because you are walking in obedience. I will take care of your path. I will make a way for you. God rules and reigns above all those components that are outside of our control. And as we give ourselves in faithful obedience, submission, and alignment to his purpose, God takes care of the things that we are powerless to take care of. And he says, you, obedient, faithful, giving yourself to my purpose, I have something very special for you. I make you like my signet ring. These are the rings you've seen in the movies where the king had a, a ring that he would use and they would, uh, any official documents, they would put a blob of wax on and the king would put his signet ring into it, which would be the emblem of the kingdom. And it would make the document official. It would verify that the letter was truly written by the king and not by imposter. The signet ring. And God says, you come into alignment with my plan and my purpose in your generation for your life. I draw you into a special place of intimacy and I give you a very special authority. I make you my signet ring. And so as Paul said in Corinthians that all of these things are written for us Let's say that God had a creation purpose and God still has the same purpose. He made mankind to show his glory in the earth. Mankind fell into sin through the gospel. God calls mankind back into alignment with his original purpose. To have sons and daughters in the earth ruling and reigning in his creation. And through the gospel we are called to rule and reign by grace in his creation. Amen.
even as the new covenant people of God, we can be apathetic. And we need a Haggai revival. We sometimes just need somebody that's going to get in our face and ask the hard questions. Are you progressing or are you regressing? If you're not growing, guess what? You're dying. How are you doing? What are you doing that you shouldn't be doing? Let's work on breaking that cycle. What are you not doing that you know you should be doing? Let's work on starting that cycle. And let's come into alignment with the purpose that God has for you. Because it's a good plan. God has a land that is flowing with milk and honey for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. The God who did not withhold his only son, how much more will he not together with Jesus give us all things? God has a promised land. It's called the new covenant. In Christ Jesus, we have a glorious inheritance. So much better. We have the spiritual fulfillment of what the Old Testament narrative is a typology of. We are blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. It has already been covenanted to us, given to us, signed and sealed by the blood of Jesus. It is ours, not to strive for, not to get given to us, but we must respond in submission and obedience to God. Say, Lord, here I am. I'm giving myself to be a people of the restoration. I don't want to focus on my paneled house. I want to give my life, my priority, and my energy to building your house in the earth so that I can fulfill the purpose of God for my life and then die. Amen. So, Father, I thank you so much for these gracious young men and women putting up with my eccentric energy. And, Lord, I pray that somehow through it all, your word and your spirit will accomplish the work for which you've sent it tonight in each one of us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.